0: Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world, and we can help. Hello, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anya McGlynn. Hello. So, today's interview with Leanne Pico, I think is so relevant, mm-hmm. and actually, the topic around leadership and succession planning has... Influenced my career a lot both learning from what kind of leader. I didn't want to be and also what kind of leader I
1: did want to be for sure.
0: Yeah So I think we all have those stories where we worked for someone a manager or boss who Wasn't let's say a star leader didn't show those those leadership qualities
1: mm-hmm.
0: and It can be really frustrating. Oh, for sure. And I feel like our sector in particular is really good at promoting people from within But without giving them the tools to be successful as leaders, because it's a different skill set.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And some like some of those tools obviously are, are, you know, the soft skills around around, you know, leadership and how to inspire people and how to manage people and how to basically, you know, move obstacles out of people's way so that they can be successful rather than feeling that you need to take anything, everything on but also some of like the hard skills and the really, really practical things around Mm -hmm. you know, around leadership, especially leadership transitions Um, and I think, you know, Cindy, you know me, I'm a bit of a wonk when it comes to like process and data and information and all that kind of stuff, but I really do think that one of the keys to, to good succession planning is to have a plan to record information that's going to be useful to the person who takes up your role after you. So so whether that's taking those extra three minutes after a phone call or even while you're on the phone call to have your database open to, to make some notes in there, um, that three or five minutes that you spend doing that recording is going to pay off big time on the back end.
0: For sure. It, it, Capturing information in a small organization specifically is so important because a lot of the organizations we work with and I know that are out there listening, uh, they don't have an obvious successor, right? It might just be the executive director. It might even be that you're an executive director who's a volunteer. That's right. Who's not getting paid. And we work so hard. We put our blood, sweat and tears into these organizations and without investing in some systems and processes uh, and taking
1: notes and capturing information, we're kind of cutting ourselves short. Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember coming into one organization and, and looking for sort of a list of past owners or, you mm-hmm. know, past relationships, and somebody directed me to a drawer, which I opened, and there were various folders with various, like, lists with handwritten notes on them. And I was like, oh... Okay, right. So it just took that much longer to get up to speed and I made I made a point of, of, of you know, focusing on, on going forward, making good notes and updating the database and, and when I left I actually got a note from, from the person who was in charge saying, you know, thanks for that because it's made us picking up those 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 loose ends or not loose ends, but rather picking up the thread after you've left, it's made that process so much easier. So yeah it's clear that there is a difference between doing it one way and doing it the other way.
0: Totally. And the other piece around succession is empowering those around you to take on more, more ownership of the things that sometimes people get really protective of their work. Um, but I had one boss, um, and I will shout out to her because this is a really good story. Uh, but when I was at the business school at U of T, uh, my boss, Lily was so instrumental in giving me opportunities To take on and take take on more work and ownership of the things that I was really interested in developing skills around. So Mm. I would sit with her in budget meetings. We'd sit in strategy sessions. Like she would invite me. I think across the whole university, I was the only person at my uh, level in some of those meetings that were otherwise exclusive, right? It was only for the executive director, but she knew that I wanted to learn and she included me in so many uh, opportunities to get
1: access to what happens uh, in the background absolutely i had the same experience like my first day on a job my boss took me with him to a really big meeting my first day the first thing i did and it really set the tone uh for for a sense of like shared responsibility and that and that we were peers and that we could learn from each other um it, it sort of eliminated that hierarchical power structure that that i think in some cases can can impede progress so yeah yeah so yeah
0: there's so much uh, great thought around what uh, Leanne calls future-proofing your organization, but we really also want you to go into the conversation thinking about that There, these are not necessarily complicated things that you need to do. It's sometimes so practical that you forget about it, but really just involving and including the people around you in owning and being involved in uh, some of the things that they that they wouldn't always get access to, sure. I think, is is huge, and and hopefully you'll also get some other good takeaways. Absolutely, for sure. Excellent. Enjoy the interview. Leanne Picot is a self described leadership and story obsessive that helps new and aspiring leaders to become inspiring leaders. Leanne has worked in the nonprofit sectors in the UK, Ireland, and Canada for over fourteen years as a practitioner, executive director, and CEO. She's a certified executive coach and part-time instructor at the Chang School at Ryerson University, teaching in the nonprofit and volunteer sector management certificate program. She is also the creator of the Leadership Leap, an online leadership course for aspiring leaders so that they can have more influence and impact. All right, welcome Leanne, and thank you so much for being part of our podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you about succession planning for small nonprofits, because as we see, a lot of organizations don't think about succession planning because they think it doesn't really apply if they don't really have a team. Um, but I know you think differently. So tell me a little bit about that.
2: Thanks, Cindy. It's so glad I'm so glad to be here. And, and, and I think this is a really important conversation um, that small nonprofits need to be having and for me i was an executive director of uh, small nonprofits for 15 years so uh, i know where they're at and and part of it is we don't talk about succession also because we're just caught in the day today we just need to keep our doors open need to get mm-hmm. delivery and so the thought of the future is often something that um we put off you know yes. we generally put it off because it's not right in front of us today um so you're right. I mean, I'm. to be honest, we, we've been thinking succession has been coming up as an issue in the sector quite a lot. And um, part of the reason for that, I think there are a couple of reasons. One is we're recognizing that there's a shift in demographics that's about to happen. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of boomers and Gen Xers like me are retiring. And we need to think about the next generation. The friction is that a lot of times uh, our younger folks don't want the job.
0: Mm. Tell me about that. So
2: uh, I ran a nonprofit leadership center for a while, and I've been working with new and aspiring leaders. And a lot of um, younger folks don't want to become an executive director because it looks too hard and I don't mean hard in terms of challenging I mean hard in terms of you have to give your whole life over so we've created a narrative about this role Mm -hmm. which may you know it and 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 not consciously but are kind of like oh I'm so busy this is so hard I have another funder to talk to I have my board it just doesn't seem like an attractive proposition. So there's that so we have that tension and then we also have the tension of the fact that we have this ever-changing environment. Mm-hmm. It is not like it was 30 years ago in corporate or in nonprofit land where you know you have company people who've been there for all these time and there's a natural successor. So whether it's a small nonprofit or a big nonprofit, I would say we need to stop even thinking in terms of successors. Mm -hmm. And that we need to, um, and I'm borrowing a phrase from the tech industry, but also we've started to use it in organizational development. We need to think about future-proofing.
0: Absolutely. And And that's much
2: more kind of the mindset we're going to need to develop.
0: Yeah. And I think, because you're, I would agree with most of those aspiring leaders around Uh, most of the executive directors that we work with do give their whole life over to their organization. And I think that's even more of an underscore around why this future-proofing is so important because I've left a position that I put my blood, sweat, and tears into and saw it fall apart after I left Mm -hmm. uh, without someone taking over. And I think that as a sector any sector is at the risk of saying of seeing their work unravel when we don't future proof.
2: That's right. And it's, I, I, I hear you. It's happened to me. I've, I've done it both ways where I have kind of prepared somebody to take over the role and it didn't go well. And then when I have left and left it to the board of directors Sometimes it doesn't go well either. So so there's a natural piece, and I think that's the the hard part of this role is you build it, but it's not yours. So it's not like building your own business. It's a lot like building your own business in terms of the hours and the dedication and utilizing your relationships and all of those kinds of things, but it is not yours. And so when you leave, um, if we've built too much of our personalities into it, then it's really hard for somebody to step in. yeah, so that's why I talk about future proofing and future proofing is about enabling people at all levels of the organization to build their leadership skills to um, you know we take we need to take a shared leadership approach sometimes as executive directors we hold all the information in our heads Mm -hmm. Um, and again we don't mean to but we walk out the door with all that information no matter how many post-its and lists and all of that because what we do is we pass over information we don't pass over the why of, of things we don't we don't necessarily equip our people with understanding why things have developed the way they have why we started a program why Uh, we cut a program, you know, when we help our people in a small organization, particularly um, to understand and to be part of the decision making, it's much more likely that the organization will be able to carry on whoever is at the helm because transition is hard in any organization. And it will be bumpy no matter what. It's going to be hard to transition, especially some of these organizations you've got. Executive directors been there 40 years. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen it. (laughs) Yeah, right? And it's just like, what are we going to do now?
0: (laughs) So I think that's a great segue, which is – Um, what can you, instead of getting to the point where you're saying, oh, no, what do we do now? What can we do now to future-proof? Because we really like to be practical on this podcast in terms of actionable advice. And so I think uh, hopefully everyone who's listening is nodding their head thinking, yeah, yeah, I need to future-proof. What does that look like done right? How do you make it happen?
2: Well, uh, the number one piece is that and this is really hard when you put your whole life into it (laughs) and for all of the eds who are listening i'm with you but it's not all about you and (laughs) it's really hard when you know you sacrifice time with your kids and you you know not taken holidays and all of that we grow into a place where we can kind of martyr ourselves a little bit and oh we've sacrificed and yeah we have uh, at a particular time and place, but that doesn't help us for the future. So, like I said before, I think there's there's a really important piece about making room for mm-hmm. other leaders while we are there. We need to enable our staff to have information, um, like I say, be part of the decision-making, and actually create ways that they can lead. Now, sometimes that's easier in small nonprofits because we don't have the kind of... Uh, built-in structures that the larger ones do so Mm -hmm. take the opportunity to have people step up and take the lead on something yeah be prepared for it maybe it won't go perfectly or maybe they won't do it as you did it but that's okay that's the whole point it's it's we need to enable people to learn make mistakes and grow within their positions so that they can contribute fully
0: Absolutely. Do you have an example of what that looks like uh, or what it can look like when done right?
2: Yes. Okay. So it's done right and not done right. <laughs> so I'm going to share a little failure story right now. Um, so I worked at an organization. I worked there for five years, built it up from it was really struggling and needed a future. We built it up, created a couple of central social enterprises, really thriving. So the the piece was, though, that each um, staff person who ran a program, they were always part of applying, like coming up with the ideas for funding Mm -hmm. and helping write the funding application, knowing what was needed for evaluation, knowing what the budget was. Guess what? If people know what your money looks like it's okay because we can get it publicly. So like, (laughs) let's not hide our budgets from our staff. Um, So equipping them all in terms of them being able to run their programs and know, and know the big why, what are we trying Mm -hmm. to do? What are we trying to impact? And so I was preparing to leave and um, elevated a couple people within the organization who I thought I had coached and, you know, built up, and I thought they had all the knowledge, put in a, a kind of a, uh, a troubleshooting plan in place for the board to monitor and to see. So unfortunately it didn't go well mm-hmm. in terms of them taking over. However, the rest of the programs were able to run. They were able yeah. to still move. They were able to serve people. The whole organization didn't collapse just because of the leadership change. And it is one of the most important lessons I've I've learned, which is why at the very beginning we need to reduce that bottleneck of information that it all sits with the ED. Cause I've seen it with other organizations where the executive director goes and the whole thing implodes. And then they spend 10 years building themselves back up and we're not, it's not an effective use of resources. It's not helping the people we serve, you know, that kind of chaos. So, so building in leadership along the way, is one of the most crucial things you can do.
0: Yeah.
2: The, another thing that I bring and that has always helped me is the, I might be run over by a bus mentality.
0: <laughs> yes, I've heard that one before. But, yes. Now, I've had people say to me, "Well,
2: oh, that's so negative. You know, it should be if you won the lottery. And my mm-hmm. kickback is always no, because as nonprofit people, even if we won the lottery, we would still turn up the next day.
0: Exactly. We
2: have to be run over by a bus. <laughs> in order for us not to come in, and part of that mentality is is uh, creating um, some clarity and some openness, so that people know where things are, what needs to happen, what emergency things are in place, um, but also that I'm not the I'm not the only person with information. I'm not the only person who knows what's happening. Yeah. So, So, again, that takes time for an executive director to record things, to, you know, share, to tell people stuff. But if we can bring that kind of mentality to our work, we also build in so that when we go, all that, like I said before, all that information walks out the door. And then you spend the next two years trying to figure things out. And that is what um, sends an organization into a tailspin.
0: Absolutely. You, I think those points are really important. And I'd love to uh, talk to you about the learning. So the programs continued and effectively, like it, you future-proofed the, the work, but it sounds like the organizational leadership, there were a few learnings there for you in terms of how to build managerial capacity. Can
2: you talk about that? Absolutely. Well, and you know what I feel like I did, because I was very, I I brought people, we had a co-executive director model. Mm -hmm. uh, Felt like I brought them in on, but the reality was that being an executive director requires a particular ability to juggle,
1: especially Mm -hmm. the
2: money. And we had, you know, a number of projects and some business aspect, all of that. So the thing I learned most was not to be involved in picking my successor, (laughs) And I've done that twice and it has not gone well. So happy to share that in a way the the idea and this is why I this is partly why I think succession we need to kind of kick it to the curb and do something else, because we are building somebody else to be like us. Yeah. And an organization needs the freedom and space after a leader goes to take just a little bit of time there's often a panic we need to get an executive director in but if you future-proofed and the programs can continue and you can continue to have some kind of um, operational uh, consistency then you can take it the board can take a little bit of time and talk to the staff and kind of do an analysis who do we need now Hmm. so great we had Joan for 40 years she was amazing we're very sad she's gone she built this thing up isn't that awesome who do we need now? Absolutely, and that is the question we have to ask. And so I learned that my lens—I I had a good lens in terms of what I wanted for the next person, and I didn't necessarily mean I needed it had to be the exactly same as me. Absolutely not. But I'm my lens is I see the best in everybody. Like I see potential, and so what was needed was a clearer kind of assessment of what was needed for the position and also of the people who were putting themselves forward.
0: That is great insight and very self-reflective because I think you're right. We look to find mini-me's in terms of who we want to take over, but the organization, it's sort of like creative destruction, right? It's a a great um, inflection point in the organization to say, what different leadership do we need to move it forward? where the opportunities to go where the leadership didn't have the right skill set or the you know it just wasn't the fit for for the previous leadership and that is scary right that's like whew, letting go but i think that it really opens the organization up to to great opportunities yeah
2: absolutely and also you know the the landscape may have shifted so for example um you know 30 years ago social enterprise wasn't really a thing like people were doing stores but we weren't looking at them as businesses whereas you know if somebody leaves after that length of time or say there's been a shift in the funding environment maybe the organization needs to think about social enterprise well now you need somebody with either business or entrepreneurial skills or mindset at least definitely so, you know, again, um, you know, we do, it's funny, we do this environmental scan when we do our strategic planning, but it might be useful to do a bit of a, an environmental scan when our leader leaves yes. to see what is the terrain, what's going on now. Now, a great board and a great board with a great ED relationship, they should already know because they've been keeping an eye and they've been informed. But sometimes we don't get there. Uh, in terms of they may not have as much information, but it is their job to look around and say, what do we need in terms of satisfying our funding requirements? Um, Probably more importantly, having a great quality service and to keep us going. So what skills and competencies? And also what kind of fit? Like who fits um, this organization? What kind of competencies do we need? What kind of attitude? What do we need? And Often boards don't take that moment and they go straight into, and I've done it. I've said, here's the job description for my job. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have those. You should always have those. It's very, very important. But the board needs to look at it and tweak it and make sure it's, it's what's really needed. So to take a few moments to look at, uh, like I say, the terrain and, and figure out what's needed, talk to some partners. You know, think. You know, the board members could talk to other board members or talk to other EDs. There, there are ways to kind of equip yourself with enough information to make an informed decision about the next leader.
0: Absolutely, I think that's really great. It's such a natural time for for reflection uh, that should be taken. Right, we're always overwhelmed and rushed and working towards the next thing. Everything's urgent in our sector, but taking that space, I think can help you really reframe what success looks like. So I love that. Um, can you, I want to go back, uh, to a couple, couple things that we talked about and deep dive into them a little bit more. One is the, um, Developing the people on your team. Uh, And you've given us a couple examples, but I want to see if you um, can actually talk us through what that would look like. And I'm going to throw in specifically one of the biggest deficits I see across sectors, but specifically in ours, is um, this paralyzing fear of failure. Hmm. And I think that that's a really important piece uh, to developing leaders is having time and space to learn from failure. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that and how you can like actually give people space to do things not perfectly.
2: Yeah, such a good question. And I guess my first response is you're going to fail. You just are.
0: <laughs> it's going
2: to happen. We all do. And it's, it's just the way it goes. It's the challenges that are, it's so I always, I always find it amusing, not, not with a capital A, but in a subtle way, because it's also frustrating, this kind of demand for innovation, Mm
0: -hmm. but
2: this intolerance for failure. Yeah. And so it's real. I mean, this is real for people. And when their money is tied to, always feeling like they have to deliver perfectly in order to keep their money, which a lot of funding streams have set it up that way. um, It's hard to have any tolerance or room for people to try something new. So I'd say a couple of things. One is um, around training. Um, So and learning, I actually it's more about learning. Because the thing is, is that when we think about failure and we think about doing things differently, that requires us to learn about new things and try them out. And that's where we often don't dwell. And so we have a whole thing. And, you know, I know as a small nonprofit, I've run them for many years. I get it. There's not a lot of money around. (laughs) However, I also challenge it because sometimes we prioritize our funding. And sometimes there is money. We just put it somewhere else. And again, I'm not judging. It's it's the environment, you know, overheads, you know, air quote overheads and all of that. But we also don't think that investing in our organization is a good use of money and that it all has to go front end program. Again, that's what we're told by our funders and, you know, often donors. But the thing is, is that if we don't invest in our staff and help them to develop competencies and I am going to say leadership competencies because the leadership competencies are often the kind of skills that enable us to fail and get back up and keep going yeah so things like communication things like having courageous conversations things like um you know being able to deal with conflict in a healthy way Um, Things like emotional intelligence, being able to read a room or read a person or, or, you know, storytelling. How do we get stories from our clients to find out where we're not serving you well? So there are a lot of competencies that can be built into um, our our staff teams so that they're able to maneuver through in a more effective way. Mm -hmm. And so then they're not as scared of failure because they know that they can manage it right? They're
0: they're prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And one of it, part of that, I think I 100% agree. And I also think there's tons of uh, available resources that cost nothing or next to nothing. Uh, And I find that uh, there's another barrier, which is time, but I actually don't want to talk about that right now. I want to talk about having the conversation when things don't go as planned. You know, being, Because I think, well, I've seen sometimes when people fail or have learning moments, let's call them, yep. like they're really scared to bring it up because they don't want to look like a failure. Um, and part of that is also not not having the space to reflect as That's a team it. or with your leadership around what worked and what didn't. And so how do you actually, like, what are some questions or how do you create that space as a leader, for your team to be able to raise their hand and say, here's what I learned. And here's what I'm going to do differently next time.
2: Uh, Great question. Well, the first one is to ban meetings. And (laughs) (laughs) so the time so well, a couple things. One is we're so busy, we're so busy, we're so busy, we don't have time to reflect. Well, that's where your recipe for failure lies. If you never stop and think you are going to fail over and over and you're going to keep doing the same darn thing over and over again because you haven't learned from it and taken it forward. Uh, so that's probably the, the very first thing we need to say. Um, but secondly, um, when we do get our people together, it's always, always, often about updates. What's mm-hmm. happening? How many people have you served? What are, do we have the food for whatever? And it's not a good use of our time. And so those kinds of using that space to share stories and to share challenges often works really well. It, not often always works really well if you can create a safe space where people. So instead of an hour of updates, say, OK, everybody, here's a um, update uh, uh, list by email. Everybody add to it and everybody needs to read this before you come in. It's kind of like a consensus agenda. Right. Mm-hmm. Here you go. You've read all of this now this week we're going to have two case studies or two things, two people have some challenges and we're all going to work through it with them. We're all, and I'm used to, I and mean, when I worked in youth mental health, this was what we used to do. And it taught me a really good um, way of going about my practice as well as my leadership, which is to take the space communally to reflect and help each other to work through it. Because the, this is what I've learned. If it, it's kind of, we've, We expect people to have worked through it already, and sometimes they have. But that's kind of the point of a team, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of the point of having a group of people that you're all on the same mission to do whatever it is you're trying to do to save the world, change the world, you know, your cause. That's kind of the point. We've lost that. So, you know, a very practical suggestion is to have story sharing where this is a ch- and success stories and challenge stories, and so what happens is is that your meetings turn into a kind of a celebration of the great stuff we're doing and a, a helpful learning um, arena for people to do their practice better. And what it does on a wider scale is it enables people to understand that failure is going to happen and we're going to work through it. So my question always is when somebody's made a mistake. Or if they're feeling like something's gone very wrong, is what can we do now?
0: Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. And that's the piece. Either as a leader or as a collective team, what can we do now? So that's that's the only question that needs to be asked. It doesn't have to be why did you do that and why. <laughs> that's unnecessary. It happened. Um, but what can we do now is a collective question, or it's one like I say between a leader and an individual, kind of saying you know, and it's not what do you need to do now. It's what can we do now? Because we're together on this.
0: Yeah. And I think creating that culture by having these conversations on an ongoing basis means that A, those challenges are coming up before their Mm. problems, which I think is important, and that the problems are minimized because they're not, uh, because they're talked about so openly and everyone takes responsibility for helping solve it instead of place blame etc so I think that that's uh it's really cultural for an organization and what I'm hearing is that it's not like um one conversation or one thing it's about carving that space out as part of your regular management and and team processes to make sure that it is embedded in how everyone works
2: absolutely because the ultimate thing And I know that the culture now often is the ultimate thing is to serve the funders. It isn't. The ultimate thing is to feed hungry kids or house people or, you know, help youth express themselves through art. Whatever your organization is doing, that's your ultimate goal. And so it's so important to have a culture that's working towards that. And in order, you know, to to do that well, we need to reflect on our practice. We need to reflect on our services we need to reflect on our behavior to pull out what we're doing well and so we can do more of that Mm -hmm. and to pull out things that we're not doing so well because we can stop doing that and that's the you know I, i it's frustrating to me sometimes when i see organizations just so um tense and stressed about getting it right when in fact we work with humans a lot of the time and certainly they're humans are in our teams so it's not going to be perfect and also isn't that the, the joy of it isn't that the fun of doing this work is figuring <laughs> it out and working through hard stuff and getting to the other side like those are some of my best memories mm-hmm. uh, in, in in a lot of the work I did on the front line
0: yeah and I think that leads back to um to a piece that I actually want to talk about one more time, which is the, the idea of giving your life over to an organization Mm. and that um, I think building in these opportunities and building in that growth and creating that culture and environment where it's fun to learn. It's fun to try new things. You're minimizing the risk of taking risks that uh, I think that can feed into the piece around Uh, what it takes to lead an organization and what that reality looks like. What are you committing to when you are a leader?
2: It's true. And I guess I would say on that point that
0: sometimes in a small
2: nonprofit, again, not judging, I've been there, when we make it about ourselves. So the deep dive Mm -hmm. that we sometimes need to do to both enable ourselves to create a culture that enables people to fail, learn, have fun, seek out challenges and try things out. It is actually our own insecurity Mm -hmm. of looking bad Mm -hmm. that (laughs) prevents us from doing that. And so if we can take ourselves out of the game And what I mean by that is, you know, when we talk, like, you know, talk, we can talk a little bit about legacy, for example. The legacy is not us. The legacy is not that one person. The legacy is who you've helped, how you've helped them. If we kind of commit to being judged on our work and on the quality of our service rather than on how people think of us, it's easier and it's easier to go from an organization and, and kind of drift away and leave them to it to do great work. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we make it about our, I'm just going to go right back to um, what we were talking about at the beginning. When we make it about us as individuals, that's where a lot of the challenges lie, both in terms of our current ability to create great culture, but also in terms of leaving the organization in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of in a really good spot to be able to carry on. Because I have actually heard some executive directors say, oh, they're not going to be able to do it without me. You know, <laughs> nobody's going to work for this kind of money. Nobody's going to put in the hours. And it's true. You're right. They aren't. So what are you going to do about that? Exactly. Right? Stop exactly. working those hours. Stop, you know, taking no money. Cre- you know, stop making it personal. It's not, mm-hmm. it, And it is personal because we put, again, with small nonprofits, it's really hard because it's personal because we've dedicated ourselves to it. But the work is not personal. It's not our baby. It's not our child. It is an organization that's meant to be doing great work, and we need to make sure that it's going to continue.
0: Definitely. And I think on that note, I love, so I think we all probably have seen that take place in organizations. But can you give us an example of when you don't future-proof? What is it? What happens? What does it look like? Um, is there an organization you've worked with that, or before you've worked with them that you've come in to, to help clean up where, uh, they're at that, let's say rock bottom in terms of not planning for the future?
2: Yeah. So I did a lot of work in change management and spent a lot of time (laughs) crisis oriented. So a lot. Um, but often the challenge is, is that, um, the organizations one organization in particular i'm thinking of the executive director had all the information and she had to leave before she anticipated um and had a health issue so it was inaccessible mm-hmm. so then the organization was kind of in like they were in a real quagmire in terms of how do we keep going and how do we i mean it imploded It imploded. It got in trouble with the funders. It got in trouble with, um, you know, it wasn't serving its clients that well. There was just continual dysfunction, constant complaining, constant. And, and, you know, I've done a lot of story work. And one of the things that um, we talk about in, you know, in terms of organizational development and story is when you create the anti-stories. And so when the anti-stories start taking over the good stories. Hmm. those are the kind of the negative stories and usually they're not about service they're always about the leader they're always about some other staff member they've become and so this organization became insidious I came in I had to let people go because they were blocked they could not move it was such a shame now I was able to get it back up and moving along um, but it continued to limp along for about five years because my job was to kind of sort out some stuff and then bring in an executive director but it limped along not doing its best work Mm -hmm. so for me really I mean the other option that I had put toward the to the board was to merge or close because you know it was so dysfunctional um but that is for me that is the worst thing that can happen is you know the organization implodes and it's not doing well and it limps along mm-hmm. and the funders keep giving it money and, and nothing drastic changes and there's poor services and people are not served well and people are not don't think of it well and it gets bad reputation. We've seen, like I've seen that a lot, mm-hmm. but it, um, this particular organization was just really sad because it used to do really good work, but it, the, there was no, future-proofing, there was no building, like people couldn't take decisions. People didn't even know where the keys were. They didn't know, like they had no information. Mm -hmm. It was all bottlenecked up with the ED. Mm -hmm. And she was unwell. Yeah. And they couldn't access her. Wow.
0: Well, I think most people have seen or experienced that kind of uh, organization. I'd love to counterpoint that with an example of maybe not necessarily an organizational story, but a story of, of an aspiring leader, someone who was given the tools to, to learn and grow and become uh, what we all hope those around us will become, which is really successful. It's really interesting
2: that you ask this um, because I just went on holiday and I went to England where I lived for 15 years and I went back to Manchester where I used to work as a at the youth mental health project. And I have a friend who I, I caught up with and she invited me to come back to the youth mental health project to see it. It's 20 years later, by the way. I mean, it's been a long time and they've moved and they've had, it was very youth led. It was a, it was an amazing project. And so it was such a gift for me to return and see that it had grown and And it had been built out to such an extent, like they they had a building that was, uh, had been informed. You could see the young people's, like they didn't want a reception area. So there was no reception area. There was, (laughs) you know, chalkboard walls. There was cool design, all that. This organization had kept its youth led mandate. And so I'm going to talk about myself as an aspiring leader. So I, it was funny going back because Mm -hmm when i worked there and this friend and i um we would call ourselves kind of troublemakers but we weren't because we were just quite we just we were given room to develop projects based on young people's needs and just poof okay women's dropping oh let's take them on a trip let's like we we were able to run with what young people needed in such a creative way. And so we created um, a young women's drop-in where arts and crafts were a big part of it. This was 20 years ago. This was like new for mental health, especially a lot of these young people had been in clinical environments and here we were giving them scissors and glitter and <laughs> glue and you know all sorts of stuff and they thrived. And so it was just so interesting for me. I was given the opportunity to lead and to use my skills and to hear from the people that I served on what they needed and create stuff. And it was an award-winning project. And it wasn't just me. It was everybody that was there had that opportunity, but I particularly ran with it, and my friend did too. And so when I think of, like, it's one of my most affectionate memories of where I have worked was enabling me to do that. And from there, I was able to step up and become an executive director and I did it at, I was 31 when I became an executive director. So, but those, you know, four years of being able to run with stuff, try stuff out, go reflect on them, think about, okay, why didn't that work? Okay, next time you need to do this, it got me ready for leadership. And so it's just a really nice journey back to where I kind of feel like my leadership journey started.
0: Yeah. Uh, I can totally relate to that story. I have a couple. Jobs in my history, where I've had that same sort of space and freedom to try things. and I agree it's it's very meaningful work and keeps keeps me going forward. So yeah, I think yeah. that's a really great way to end this conversation actually. Um, which is, yeah, we all have the opportunity I think to create space around us for people to learn and grow. and develop and, and, in the process, future-proof our own legacies. So I think that's really great. Uh, where can our audience get more information about the work that you do?
2: Well, my website is leanne at Blue M-O-R-P-H-O, M-O-R-P-H-O dot co and you can find out about my services there. I work particularly with new and aspiring leaders. I love training uh, people who are wanting to develop leadership skills, but I particularly love helping them become more inspiring. So um, my website is www.bluemorpho.co, And I also have a, an online leadership course that I developed, which is affordable and accessible. And it's actually because of all this conversation, and particularly for nonprofit folks, um, which is the Leadership Leap. And you can find out about that. Um, It's for new and aspiring leaders and it helps them to develop their skills and competencies in kind of the newer essential skills like emotional intelligence, delegation, things like that.
0: Amazing. Definitely, those are the skills that we don't teach that well in traditional education, but are more a factor to our success in the real world. So I think that's a great offering. Leanne, thank you very much. Uh, We'll have all those resources in the show notes for people, so you don't have to worry about scribbling it down. And uh, that was a great conversation, really helpful. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Cindy. So much fun.
0: Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.